the expression from the music inspired me so much to take risks and it inspired damn near the whole rap game. Hello again, I'm Adam Unz. You may know me as the host of The Opus, and now I'm bringing my own show, The Spark Parade, to the Consequence Podcast Network. I speak with artists and creatives about the cultural artifacts that spark their personal interest and creativity, whether it's music, books, movies, video games, or any other kind of art. I've never spoke about it in this amount of detail. I'm suddenly going, oh my God, I'm blowing my own mind here, Christ. It's, it's actually a giant part of my life. By talking about the things we love, we share and discover insights into our personality and the things that drive us. It's just magic, really. I mean, frustrating and it makes some people angry, but I don't think anyone's ever done anything like it. I speak with people like Connor Robers, Phoenix's Thomas Mars, Chris Gethard, Helen Hong, Adrian Young, and more, so their sparks of inspiration can start a fire in you. I'm grateful for those who continue to put our history and who we are as a people in the forefront and make you see it. Find the Spark Parade wherever you get your podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. This is Ghost Echoes, a history of music with secret rules. I'm Matthew Parsons. The secret rules of this podcast are like a wheel I spin to tell me what to talk about. This week, the wheel landed on a concept album from 1974. It tells the story of a catastrophe in Germany in the years after World War II. And the story of how the album came to be is a typical post-war story as well, albeit from a nation whose fortunes were very different. So here they are. Two postcards from mid-century Europe. Robert Calvert wanted to be a pilot. His ears were bad. He ended up a poet. Calvert was born in South Africa, but he grew up in the UK from the age of two. And the UK had never felt more heroic than in that time after the war. These were the days of Dan Dare, the hero of comic books and radio serials, who projected good old-fashioned British pluck forward into the 21st century. Domon and the other hostages, Dan. Weren't you able to rescue them? Oh, I could have, but the silly blighters wouldn't come, eh? Dan's adventures in space reassured every young boy in Britain that this heroism, this daring do, belonged to the future as much as the past. It was, they were told to believe, their national birthright. Oh, good golly. Any sign of the other two's in ram? Yes, they're coming. Why? The creatures are gaining confidence. They've only got about 200 yards to climb. Oh, good heavens. Listen again at the same time tomorrow to Dan Dare, Pilot of the Future. For the young Robert Calvert, a career in the Royal Air Force seemed like the perfect way to satisfy a certain romantic tendency. A tendency he'd picked up from reading adventurous poets like Shelley and Lord Byron. And it might also satisfy his father's tendency to despise all that nonsense. So Robert Calvert wanted to be a pilot. But his ears were bad. So he ended up a poet. By the early 70s, Calvert was giving poetry readings alongside the cult writer Michael Moorcock. He was making ripples in the new wave of science fiction. So it was really only a matter of time before he ended up a member of Hawkwind. If you're a fan of British space rock, then you know Hawkwind. Their combination of psychedelic jamming and science fiction lyrics 
earned them comparisons to their fellow interstellar overdrivers, Pink Floyd. Hawkwind had one album out, they had a single, but Calvert gave them their first hit. He wrote the lyrics to Silver Machine, the first of only two Hawkwind tracks to hit the top 40. Silver Machine was a private joke for Calvert. He knew listeners would hear it and assume it was about a spaceship or a time machine, but he would insist to anybody who asked that it was about the silver bicycle he had as a boy. Maybe so but there's nothing in the song itself to suggest that. On the other hand, there's a wash of synth noise in the left stereo channel that lasts throughout the whole song. And if you put Hawkwind's sci-fi tendencies out of your head for a second, it really sounds like a fighter jet circling overhead. So let's hazard a guess that Silver Machine was a very personal song for Calvert. When Hawkwind recorded it live at a benefit concert, he sang the lead vocal himself. But that's not the vocal performance you hear on the final version. Shortly after the recording was made, Calvert suffered a manic-depressive episode. He was confined to a sanatorium for 28 days. He'd been through this before, and he'd go through it again. While he was sequestered away, the band listened to their recording of Silver Machine and decided Calvert's vocal just wouldn't cut it. Every member of the band tried to get it right, one after the other, but none of them could manage. Eventually, they decided to give it a shot with the one member of the band they were certain could not sing it. Their new bassist, a bag of amphetamines with a handlebar mustache named Ian Kilmister. You may know him as Lemmy. Lemmy nailed it. Any personal betrayal Calvert might have felt about this didn't drive him away. His appearances at Hawkwind shows became the stuff of legend. A figure emerging from the fog and the laser beams, reading poems about time and space and possibility while synthesizers whined all around him. In the tenth second of forever, I thought of the sea and a white yacht drifting. In the ninth second of forever, I thought of a leaf, a stone, the plastic fragment of a child's toy. But these performances took their toll on Calvert. He attacked every reading with such fearsome dedication that he often left the stage nearly broken from exhaustion. Calvert suffered from poor mental health at the best of times. The stress of performing only made it worse. The first and final second of forever. I thought of the long past that had led to now, and never, never, never. So, 
1973, Calvert bid Hawkwind a temporary farewell, and he started working on a solo project, a concept album. For the story, he returned to a familiar well of inspiration. Aviation, but not British aviation. Calvert's album tells a true story from the losing side of the war. The British got Dan Dare comics after World War II. The Germans got posters made by the Allies with pictures of concentration camps and mass graves and captions like, you are guilty of this. Well, they asked for it, they got it. Yes, but you can't let them starve. I don't know about that. I got a son out there. As far as I can see, it'd be a good thing if some of them did die. The atrocities of Nazi Germany gave way to shame, economic collapse, and acres of rubble. We not only smashed up the towns, but smashed up the links between the towns. And at the finish, life in Germany just ran down like a clock. The Western Allies dissolved the German military, including the Luftwaffe, the terrifying Nazi Air Force. But by the mid-50s, the denazification efforts were winding down. Germany was split into East and West, the Cold War was well underway, and the United States, France, and Britain needed a Central European ally in the conflict with the Soviets. So began the rearmament of West Germany. Air forces is an air circus, God! Even the Red Baron himself would laugh at that anti-hated aeroplanes. The West German defense minister overseeing all this was Franz Josef Strauss. We must modernize! This is not his voice. We must get up to date! We must completely reorganize... In the early days of West German rearmament, Strauss found himself courted by at least three aerospace companies who all wanted to sell him fighter planes. You want to buy aeroplanes? That is correct. Well, we make them good ones. At first, Strauss was leaning towards the French contender, a sleek, dark stingray of a jet called the Dassault Mirage III. But then Strauss banked suddenly and swerved towards the American option, the Lockheed F-104 Starfighter, a glistening steel cone with wings. It's yes, the finest fair with a fighter on the market. You won't find a better one at the price, or any price for that matter. Strauss claimed that the officers of the newly reformed Luftwaffe had inspired his change of heart. They tested the Starfighter, he said, and it was love at first flight. And there may be some truth to that, but a gentleman named Ernest Hauser probably played a role as well. And instead of just calling her the F-104, we'll call her the F-104G. G? G for Germany. Hauser was a former American intelligence officer who now worked as a salesman for Lockheed. G for Germany! And like all of Lockheed's salesmen, Hauser had been told to sell as many Lockheed planes to as many European governments as possible by any means necessary up to and including bribery. Hauser's diary became evidence in a later investigation. In that diary, Hauser revealed that he paid Strauss and his party affiliates more than 10 million American dollars in exchange for a contract with the Luftwaffe. Strauss denied everything. He said that Hauser was an obvious agent of the KGB, sent by the Soviets to discredit him. Whatever the case, Strauss was never indicted. 
And indeed, he lived on to become part of another aerospace bribery scandal, this time from the other side. Strauss eventually became the chairman of the airplane manufacturer Airbus. And just before he died, he allegedly bribed Canada to buy airplanes. You may not feel that any of this suggests a basis for a space rock concept album, but for a comedian, poet, and aviation fanatic like Robert Calvert, it was irresistible. The dialogue you've been hearing comes from the comic sketches between songs on Calvert's solo debut, Captain Lockheed and the Starfighters. Anybody want to buy a Starfighter? But Calvert wasn't interested in the vagaries of the bribery scandal. He wanted to dramatize its aftermath. The jets that Lockheed delivered to Germany caused one catastrophe after another. The Luftwaffe demanded a slew of customizations that completely changed the way the plane handled. Very nice. We need a plane for bombing, strafing, assault and battery, interception, ground support and reconnaissance. Not just a fair weather fighter! Well, that's okay. We can make some modifications. It'll cost a little extra, but it's worth it. The Germans were using the Starfighters for purposes they were never built for. Plus, their pilots were either brand new or hadn't flown since the war. All in all, of the 916 Starfighters that Franz Josef Strauss ordered, 292 of them crashed, killing more than 100 pilots. In Germany, the Starfighter acquired a new nickname, Widowmaker. They don't always crash, you know. To be mangled, to be hideously mutilated beyond the recognition of one's own mother. There's plenty more to say about Captain Lockheed and the Starfighters. It's a dense, unusual album, recorded by a full complement of British cult heroes. But I'm going to leave it there. Because the most fascinating thing about this record, to me, is its very existence. Two things had to be true to bring it into the world. First, the Lockheed bribery scandal had to happen. And second, Robert Calvert had to want to be a pilot. For these two circumstances to come to pass... Great Britain had to win the war, and Germany had to lose. Captain Lockheed and the Starfighters is a perfect artifact of its moment in post-war history. For both sides. I'm Matthew Parsons. Next time on Ghost Echoes, Man's Best Friend. Shine it up and wear it on a chain. You will find that it will be much brighter if you empty out its pocket.
Dan Dare, pilot of the future, is presented by the makers of Horlicks, the food drink that restores you by night and means you wake revived, alert, refreshed. Consequence Podcast Network.